I've begun to affectionately refer to these uh, men as the Red Tie Gang. I think we could uh, use a little more from them. Thank you, gentlemen. We're so grateful for you. I, uh, I so enjoy um, watching people who are really good at what they do, do what they really do well. Um, in fact, sometimes I like watching other people do their work more than I like doing my own work. <laughs> Especially if they're really good at something I'm not good at. Uh, I remember watching a good friend of ours who's quite an artist and uh, throw clay one time. And I didn't know that's actually the way you describe it. When you put a spinning wheel and you get it going and you have the, the pottery clay and you, you literally throw it onto the wheel. But there's a technique to it. And, uh, and she taught me a lot. And I mean taught me, showed me how to do it. I never practiced it because I knew I'd be terrible at it. And if you don't know much about me, then I'm not a very crafty kind of guy. So um, I've never enjoyed that part of children's ministry ever. But, you know, it's so fun to watch people who engage in things that they're really good at. Uh, You watch uh, a a pianist, uh, Heather, uh, Jennifer, Steve, who have mastered and worked long and many years to master something that that uh, that they have given themselves to. We we think about it in the art world as well, and, and in the kitchen, right? Children grow up often watching parents or grandparents at work, and uh, they begin to model and emulate what they do. They practice what they see happening, and, and then they learn how to do it themselves. Even at the, the men's retreat, I saw a couple of our men out practicing uh, a golf swings, one teaching the other, showing the other at least, and uh, how to uh, do some things. And uh, I, I've never, well, I've only played golf about four times officially in my life, and I'm not sure I'll ever play again because it's a relief for me to never go back to the golf course, and, and it's a blessing for everybody else uh, that I'm not on the golf course. Uh, but I know from what I hear from others that, that golf is one of those things that if you're really going to develop in your game, that you really have have to listen to what's being taught you, and you have to find really good models and learn to imitate them. Am I right, golfers? And you learn to practice your swing, because the goal is this. The goal for that, and and in any of these situations, is for things over time, as they develop, is that they become second nature. You kind of stop thinking about it as much, and it just becomes natural. You know how to mix the ingredients for your favorite recipes because it's in you. You, you know how to be comfortable with memory muscle uh, and swinging a golf club because you've done it over and over and you've watched and, and you've trained yourself and you've practiced time and time again. And uh, sometimes when we think about our spiritual lives, those really apply very much into what it means for us to develop spiritually. And sometimes we get caught asking a question that's really important. And the question is this, what is God doing in my life? And sometimes in answering that question or seeking an answer, we are helped if we ask a different question to begin. Sometimes, and maybe more regularly, we need to ask, what am I doing to cooperate with God in what He wants to do in my life? Not just, what in the world is God doing? Sometimes we need to ask a different question, and it is, what am I doing to cooperate with what God is doing in me? What, does, what helps me to develop spiritually so that my roots really do grow deeper, and my trunk really does grow stronger, and the fruit of my life really becomes sweeter and healthy and a blessing to the world around me? How do I become the person that I want to be and that God desires me to be. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians, the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to just read about four verses in a moment. Philippians is a book written by the Apostle Paul, and 
It's part of a group of letters, uh, four letters that are often referred to as the prison epistles. These are letters written while Paul sat in, in jails. And, and he wasn't in jail just once or twice. It was a handful of times through his life, persecuted because of his Christian faith as he went around to different cities around the Mediterranean and shared the gospel. And what we know about Philippians, many commentators, if, if you were to ask them, can you boil down this book into one term? And if I were to put one heading over the book of Philippians, many commentators would say it's this word, it's three letters, Joy. And it can be challenging sometimes because we might wonder and scratch our heads, how in the world could Paul, who's writing from prison, write about joy? And he describes it in multiple ways throughout this book. And I'll tell you the secret. It's found in chapter 1. And it's in verse 6. Because Paul, it didn't matter where he was or where he found himself or the circumstances of any particular season of his life, even if they seemed dire. Here's what Paul knew. He's, he knew that God, who had begun a good work, is the one who is faithful to complete the work that He has started. Yeah, I don't know about you, but if you've ever started at a task or a project and then set it down and never completed it, have you ever been there? <laughs> you liars. <laughs> I only saw about eight hands go up. We could all think of some moments in our lives where we have started something and not brought it to completion. We, we had the best of intentions and a lot of reasons. It's not about the failure. All I'm trying to point out is that God, when God begins something, He brings it to completion. And the Apostle Paul, as he would write the book of Philippians and other letters from uh, jail, he could write about joy because he knew that the God who had begun a good work in him would be the one who would bring it to its completion and fulfillment. And so that settled him in all things and in all circumstances. And what we're going to look at today, or some of the other things he talks about actually, um, is that things that God desires to shape in you. One is joy. God desires to shape in you humility. He desires to shape in you love and contentment. These are all themes out of the book of Philippians. And he gives some insight really into not so much what he shapes, but how that process works. And that's what I want us to think about for the rest of our time together is how is it that God works in us so that we can become, over time, more masterful in our discipleship. You know, a student is not intended to stay in the second grade for all of her life. A student who is growing grows up. They develop. And so it is in our spiritual lives. We are intended to grow up and to be developed and God desires to work in you and me to, to shape in us His desires for us. Let's read two verses. Uh, it's about halfway through chapter 2. We're going to start in, in verse 12 in a moment. But this is right at, at the end of a section when Paul has described for the church, Jesus, uh, he, he describes the, the need in the church to emulate the humility of Jesus. And then he goes in this great passage. This is one of the great Christological passages about who Jesus is. And it, it describes Jesus as not considering equality with God something to be held on to, but he was willing to empty himself and to take on human flesh and come to the world to do what we needed him to do so desperately. And he's held up, Jesus is, as the example of humble living. 
And then Paul talks, he turns a corner, and he begins to say this. He says, therefore, because Jesus has done this in humility, and you and I ought to humbly look out for the needs of others above ourselves. He says, therefore, my dear friends. So how does this work? How does it happen? He says, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of the great verses about our ongoing sanctification. How is it that God, once He he rescues us and He begins to redeem us, and how He changes us over the course of our lifetime. There is... There is this question again, not just what is God doing, but what am I doing to cooperate with the work of God? It's not about you changing yourself or me changing myself, but we have to be open and seeking out to be co-operators with God. As His Spirit works in us and shapes us, we have to be open and willing and responsive. And then God gives us certain practices that are so helpful in the way that He wants to shape us. And we'll get to those in a minute. But in verse 13, as we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it says, for it is God who works in you. Who's at work in you? God. And what is the work that He's doing? To will and to act according to His good purpose. So what is God doing? God is at work in you so that you begin increasingly through your life to want the things God wants. To learn to desire the things that God desires. That the things that are important and matter to God become that which is important and matter to you. So that... God is at work in you to will according to His good purpose so that your desires and your hungers are just the same and in line with what God has. It's not living any life that you want. It's living a life of obedience and joy-filled obedience with the Lord. So it is that God who is at work in you to will so that your wants become His wants and to act. So as God increasingly gives you the ability to desire what He desires, He also increasingly gives you the strength and the ability to do and to act according to what is purposeful to Him. Does that make sense? That's what God is about in our lives. He wants to work in you and then it's partly up to us to cooperate with what He wants to do so that we become not... It's not about salvation. It's not about starting the journey. That's what God does. But then we respond to God in the work of His ongoing shaping of us. So let's skip down. If that's what God is at work doing, to will and to act so that you and I will think and act according to His good purpose. In chapter 4, right toward the end of the book, He gives us some helpful parts He says uh, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you have ever learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So what is it that we are to do to cooperate with God? You see, effective spiritual discipline in large measures about pondering. The word used there, to th- uh, the way the NIV translates it is think. 
Now, if you're like me, you think, okay, what sort of information do I need in my brain so that I can wire myself to think differently? And certainly that's part of what we are called to be and to do, that uh, we uh, have renewed minds in the Lord. Of course we are. But what, what I think Paul is getting to in a deeper level is what is it that shapes our heart and what is it that our hearts are drawn toward? Those are the things, the deeper things of our life that God really wants to touch in you. That's how things that are important to God become important to you. You begin to value them. Not just because you know it to be true, but you begin to follow the heart that God is shaping in you to be like Him. Pondering is... It's not just thinking. It's not just, oh, here's a a fun thought that flitters through my mind. I mean, I like these words, noble, admirable. Those are pretty words, right? Those are good words. Who wouldn't want that? When, When I encounter them, I'd like to think about them, sure. But the word used here is more about a pondering. It's more, you need to think more like an accountant who sits with the ledger columns and is looking at numbers and integrating and finding the, the issues and seeing how they all relate to each other. And it's, it's work and it's important work and it's helpful. It's not just about the information that we put in. Sometimes when you think about education and sometimes in the church, when we think about discipleship and for so long it's been, how much information can I put in my head? If I can just know more about God, if I can just know more about His nature and what He's done then that will somehow affect the way I live my life. And the information is good, but it's limited if that's all it is. I want to give you... Can I give you a little demonstration of what I'm trying to talk about? You okay with this? This is kind of a demonstration day with Monica and me. All right. So often, and even there's basic education models... That there's the idea that, that the teacher or the professional, they have this amount of, of knowledge and information. And so often we think that education and even discipleship, there's an assumption for a long time in the church that if, if we take this information out of this picture from, from someone and we pour it into somebody's cup and we've transferred this information, that somehow they are becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, we can learn a lot about God. We can know a lot about doctrinal stuff, but it doesn't mean it's affecting our life or changing our heart. And so there's a difference here. We're going to put this information back. I want to do something a little bit different. When we're invited to ponder such things, it's a shift in our, our thinking a little bit and a shift in what we do. It's not just about thinking. I've got in my pocket here, anybody know what this is? Looks like a little wafer cookie. How do you know that? That's all right. It's, it's, it's not a secret. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I might need some more, Sam. So maybe you can you can help me. This is my last one. So, well, Sam's right. It's a sponge, but it doesn't look much like a sponge. It's pretty thin, right? Yeah. Oh, there's no nothing under it. I want you to see. Okay. It's pretty little. I want you to see what happens though, because. When the Apostle Paul is talking about thinking about things, you may have a different word translated. It's really about saturating yourself in these things. I want you to watch what happens and the difference here. Right? Information into a cup is one thing, and it's helpful, but it doesn't change a life always. But when we begin to saturate ourselves in the good things of God, watch what happens. Can you see that? 
Is that a different picture? When we are saturated and we begin to absorb the things into our life that God desires for us, we become different people. It's not just, it's not just about thinking different things. It's about becoming different. It's about having a heart that's different. It's about desiring the things that God desires. Sometimes it's surprising. What is God at work doing? God is at work in you so that you will will and act according to His good purpose. So that what you want becomes increasingly what God wants. And so that what you do with your life increasingly becomes what God empowers you to do. Right? Isn't that what the gift of faith is? We see God at work in us. And even if there are things that are too big or too grand for us to do on our own, if God has called it and ordained it, He will bring it to pass as we walk with Him. Ponder, ponder such things. And He gives a whole list of things here. Um, Some of them uh, among the concepts are kind of like, well, He says that which is true. Let's just look at a couple of them. That's really the idea of being true is someone who's dependable and truthful. Uh, I had the opportunity one year ago to go to the retirement party of uh, some college ministers of mine, Bob and Deb Lipscomb, husband and wife, and for three decades more and more, they ministered to thousands of college students. I was with them for a couple of years, and I don't. I, there's all other examples of dependable life, but I can't think of anybody who's been more dependable to their calling as Christians, to their calling in ministry, to their calling as parents, to their faithfulness in missions, and just on and on it goes, and to their dependability and truthfulness to me. So they've been a great example to me of of what it is to be true, and and given me a real textured example of what it means to, to saturate in that which is true. And that which is lovely is another word that Paul uses. And this is uh, it's a really interesting word. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It, it's the idea of that which calls forth love. It, it's kind of like gravity. Did you know gravity draws things to it? It does. That's science. <laughs> gravity has this great drawing effect. And when Paul is describing to to that which is lovely, to ponder about that which is lovely. It's about, in part, knowing people in your life who who are are lovely, not, not, not physically beautiful, but those who demonstrate the quality of Christ in them. And, and they're drawn people, they draw people to them because of it. I, I could think of a lot of examples. One that stands out to me this week, at least, is one of my theology professors uh, at the seminary, Stan Nelson. And, you know, so often... When I would sit in his class, it wasn't about all the information I learned, because I would walk out with pages of notes. I still got his book on my shelf, and I still refer to it. But you know what I learned most about Stan Nelson was what it was to be saturated in a lovely life. A life that is so uh, uh, saturated itself with loving kindness that people are drawn to it. And I would just, I just loved watching the way he taught and the way he would talk to students during break and, and just his manner and his gentleness. I mean, he has a deep intellect, but it was amazing to watch and to learn from him about what it is to ponder loveliness. And Paul goes on with some other words, and, and you can read them uh, for yourself. But the, the idea is that, that we must be in the, the realm of practicing and being engaged in regular, hands-on activity. What I mean by that? Spiritual disciplines. You know, things don't change so much over the course of time. Because you and I need regular rhythms 
to put ourselves before God so that He can do what He wants to do in us. We have to be cooperators with Him. It's not about you changing yourself, but you do have to avail yourself to Him. And we do that most regularly through regular rhythms of prayer, regular rhythms of Scripture by uh, uh, memory and, and investment, and then being with people. So when you ponder the good things, it allows God to shape those things in you. So that's one aspect. of. So if God is at work so that you and I might will and act according to His good purpose, one thing that we are to do tangibly is to practice those things. We, we engage in disciplines that help us ponder the things of God, to saturate ourselves in the presence of God. So that's one thing. And then he gives a second and final example because he goes on in verse 9 and he says, I love it, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We so desperately need good examples in our life and in our world today. One author I was reading or have been reading talks about how in our, our modern day there's such a, a drive for authenticity and, and uniqueness that there's a diminishing of, of the elevating of people, not not so much on a pedestal, but as examples to follow. People that we can um, pattern our life after. And we as spiritual people, we need examples. People who have gone a little farther down the pathway of spiritual life and development in Christ than we have. And we need to be able to, to rub beside them and to, to be with them and to have conversations with them and to hear their side conversations and to, to watch the holiness that emerges and just oozes out of them. Because so much of our, our spiritual life, our Christian life, it's not always taught in a, a theological sermon or a doctrinal class. It's caught in the way that we integrate and interact with other people. So it doesn't matter. It's little has very little to do with age or even seniority in the church, but it has everything to do with spiritual maturity in Christ. And our greatest challenge probably in our day today, I think, is just the ability to, to spend time of quality together and to be with others who are spiritually mature, and to have others in our life that we can touch and be examples for. And that's one of my prayers for our church, is that somehow God would give us the ability and the wisdom and to know how to be together more so that we can be examples for each other, so that we can be living epistles, as Paul describes the church, for one another. Soaking up, soaking up the qualities of Jesus because we see it in the life of another person. And then we become that for someone else. Yeah, there's a classic definition of virtues from ancient times that describes the, the affective part. You know, in, in education, there's... I don't want to go there. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's what I want to say. As we walk with Christ, you've heard the expression second nature. You, you begin to do things, you don't really think about them, they just become natural responses for you. Well, you know, life in Christ is a lot like that. As we are saturated with Him, that our Christian life becomes like second nature for us. We do it without thinking, because we're not primarily thinking people, we're primarily worshiping people. Right? We attach ourselves and we do what we love. And so God desires to shape those loves to ponder and saturate ourselves in Christ and to walk with Him in that way.
starting next week. Uh, take out your, uh, your hymnal. You've got a hymnal, most of you, right there in front of you. If you open up to the front flap, starting next week, this is really just kind of a, a springboard into what's coming. Uh, we're going to walk through together for, it's going to take us a while, about 13 weeks or so, I think, um, well into the summer months. And we're going to walk together and just kind of step by step through our church covenant. We're going to talk about it. We're going to examine it. And we're, going to, we're going to talk about two critical concepts of what it means to be committed Committed to God, and then committed to each other in a fellowship like this. So that we know, and and increasingly, we we have opportunities to learn from each other. We are seeing examples of godliness around us, and then there are times when we become those examples of godliness for others. And it's building a community that that God desires, I think, and He's pleased with. So we're going to spend some time in the days to come, the weeks to come, uh, talking and walking through our church covenant so that we can figure out what it is and think again about being committed to the Lord and committed to one another. Sound okay? Mm-hmm. That's the plan. You ready to pray? Let's do it. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the opportunity to come and to be shaped by You, that You desire to work in us so that we might will and act according to Your good purpose. <laughs> You've given us some things to ponder, to really think about and to saturate our life in. And you've given us examples of Christ's likeness in our lives. God, help us to to remember them, to celebrate them, to thank them, and to imitate them when appropriate. Not not that these lives are perfect. That's that's not the point. But the point is they, they can call us upward, upward toward the greater prize that you've called us heavenly, heavenward. And so we pray this day that you would guide us in our pondering, guide us in the practices that we need that will saturate us in You, put people in our lives who can offer these examples to imitate that will spur us on toward faith and good deeds. We ask You now, help us. Bless us with this gift, we pray, Jesus, now. In Your name, amen. Amen. We have one last song in your music sheet. If you could find that. We're going to have a a moment uh, of prayerful reflection, and uh, you're welcome if today you don't know what it is to be united to Jesus, and you don't know what it is to have God working in you, and that's still a mystery in your mind and in your heart. Uh, We would love uh, for you, if you want, while we sing, I'll be standing right here. You can come, and I'll be waiting for you. We can begin a conversation today, and uh, I'd love that. There's a phone number on the bulletin. You can call. We'd be happy to start a conversation that way, too. Uh, Let's stand together, and let's sing our last song.